Hello, hello. Welcome back. I hope you are doing well. I have a little treat for you today. I'm being joined by somebody who genuinely, I feel I'm a better human for knowing. This is Dr. Gina Cox. She's CEO of Feels Human LLC. She's a trained organizational psychologist who's now an executive coach, and she focuses on helping leaders optimize their impact and influence, make career pivots, and build inclusive organizations. This woman really touched my soul. And I I think I have left this conversation feeling like I can make a bigger change on the world purely because I'm more confident in the way I am going to approach my conversations around leadership. And as you'll hear, the word respect. Gina has given a TED talk on yes and careers. The topic is the title. And she really encourages everyone she works with to build a purposeful career. And again, speaking to my soul here, but the conversation we had today really focused on helping leaders see that inclusion tops diversity, but it all starts powered by respect. That respect is at the center of what we need to be doing. She is about the impact on human culture, how effective leaders put respect first and foremost, and thinks about the stuff that we need to be doing instead of just talking about the stuff that we would like to be doing. She knows that many of us are intimidated by the conversation around inclusion, like how do we do this? It's hard, it's complicated, what if I do it wrong? And she has such a heart-centered approach to doing this. I could literally have talked to this lady all day, and I'm sure she's going to be back on the show. But without further ado, let's get Gina Cox onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Gina. It's really great to have you here. And Tony, it's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I am so looking forward to digging into this conversation. I wish I had been hitting record for some of the conversation we've just been having <laughs> before, uh, as we were getting to you know chat through what we're going to discuss today on this show. We've got so much to get through, but I would love for you to start off with telling me and the audience a little bit about your career journey, some highlights and the lowlights. I often think the lowlights are where the most interesting stories come from and how you came today to work in the field of inclusion, organizational psychology, and why you're so passionate about this topic. Oh, wow. You know, I think for as long as I could remember, ever since I was a child, I've always been fascinated by humans. Somehow, you know, I'm that person in the airport who could sort of sit there and just watch people do the things they do. I've always been that way. So I've always been interested in psychology, but um, thought that I was going to be a journalist. I mean, that was my ambition was to be a, a journalist. I wanted to be an intrepid journalist that wore, you know, a black T-shirt with a vest over it with lots of pockets and went around the world. I don't know. I had this fantasy idea and I, I, I still kind of cling to this notion. 
But you you would probably notice that those two careers do have a little bit in common. The commonality is all about sort of asking questions and learning things and putting patterns together so that you can help other people understand something that they might not otherwise understand. But I studied organizational psychology because in addition to this interest that I had in humans, I have an interest in business. And somewhere I figured out a long time ago that it is in the workplace where humans are sort of our best and our worst, because it's not that long, really, since the agricultural, you know, since we were all working on on farms and then there was an industrial revolution that changed everything. It's not, that change is relatively recent in humankind. And so we are still learning how to be humans together at work. But once I made that decision to to choose the academic um, path, you know, I've had the luxury of working in companies for decades. And I've worked in some of the largest companies in the world, actually, because I've worked on, you know, in large global organizations. And I've worked as an external consultant to leaders across those global organizations. And I've worked as an internal consultant, sometimes as an employee of a single company. Um, at this point in my career, uh, I work primarily, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and I work primarily as an executive coach and advisor to business leaders, helping them really enhance their impact and their influence in the organizations that they lead, and also helping them build inclusive organizations. But you asked about career journey, and it's been quite a journey. I think that there there were times when I, as I said before, I worked internally and love everything about corporate life. It's sort of the environment that is my natural habitat. But then there would come a point where I would say enough of this, because, you know, when you work in one company, you have that sense that this is the world, and yet you know that this is just a speck in the world. And and so I would leave and I would do something different so that I could get a broader um perspective. But the highlight of my professional career, I think, has always been something to do with learning. And the place where I learned the most was when I worked at IBM uh, in a group that was called Smarter Workforce. And what we were doing was we were applying technologies to help uh, organizations make better employee selection decisions, to help managers make better leadership decisions, and so on. And we were using AI, by the way, even though it sounds as if AI uh, is in the top, in you know, in the front of everything that people talk about these days, and it seems very new, you know, you're not surprised to know that IBM and many other tech companies have been working in this space for a long time. But anyway, so the highlight of my my entire career has been the opportunities that I've had to learn a lot about human behavior, about leaders, about leaders, about leadership, and just about organizational life. The low light of my career or the low lights, I would say, have always had to do with this notion that because I have I'm an immigrant, at least in the United States context. There have been times when I have sort of watched myself. I felt like I was looking down on myself as I was doing whatever I was doing in the environment where I operated. And I had this sense of before and after my previous life where I had a particular kind of experience. You know, I was a high achiever, an A student, and everyone said, oh, wow, you're fantastic coming to the United States. I got a, a different kind of reaction in general. I began to notice that in people often... Uh, make assumptions about you just because of how you look. I, I guess I didn't realize that to such an extent until I came to the United States. But that idea is something that throughout my professional career, I'm always observing it. 
not talking about it, but observing it because it's, it's just a fascinating thing. And so over the years, the, the low lights have often had to do with those times when I have personally felt excluded or where I have just observed other people around me having that experience and wondering, why does it have to be so hard? That is so powerful. It's heartbreaking, but I think it's also really eye-opening because it, it touches on this subject of inclusion so profoundly because your lowlights in your life, not just your career, but your life from the sound of it, are where you felt personally excluded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always think of our lowlights as this, the pieces of the puzzle that can either drag us down or be the fire that lifts, that pushes us up. And, you know, a lot of the work that you and I do as coaches is about redirecting the energy from pulling us down to pushing us up. Not everybody has that luxury, right? And you've just described something extremely strong, which I think actually, I think many people on some level will relate to. I suspect your experience is more intense, perhaps, than much of my audience. I would love for you to describe, if you felt willing to do so, some of your experience of being an immigrant and in particular being a Black immigrant. Because I I think especially for the white women in the audience, myself included, although we want to understand, we've never been in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. your lowlights are probably more intense than we have ever personally experienced. So I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. I'd be happy to. And and I don't know if I feel these things any more intensely than any other person, except for the fact that I am a psychologist, journalist at heart, and mm. observing is, is the thing that I do. And for that reason, may observe more than other people. So that's the mm. only distinction I can really call, because I believe that the kinds of things that we're talking about when we talk about inclusion, I think we all experience, we all know what inclu- inclusion feels like. We also also know what exclusion feels like. We all, mm-hmm. we all know this. It's just that some people may have more of the exclusionary type of experiences just by virtue of societal norms and patterns that sometimes feel like we, we don't even notice those patterns. But what I would say from an immigrant's perspective is that, uh, and this is true for any immigrant, I'm sure, regardless of where they come from and regardless of the country where they're, you know, they have immigrated to, is that you, you have this period of time where you have to, you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing the same person, but now you have to sort of recalibrate yourself because the world in which you're functioning is very different than the one that you came from. And so if we're talking about the work context and if we're talking about experiences where now you might be, you might have characteristics that differ from the majority group where you go in the place that you've gone to, it's a, it's quite a, a, an abrupt experience. But from a behavior perspective, meaning the things that people would, you know, would be most useful for the people who are listening to this conversation. I would say that the, the, the biggest challenge when you're an immigrant is that people make a lot of assumptions about you mm-hmm. that tend to be assumptions of inferiority. And I think that's probably true for any immigrant, right? Because what we all want is for everybody to be like us. You know, I like to use the word comfort because I think we're all seeking comfort in the world. We just want it to be easy. And so when things grade against us, when things feel a little unfamiliar, I think that kind of reduces our comfort. So mm-hmm. I think it's a very natural reaction. But people would, would say things. I, one of the weirdest things that someone ever said to me uh, that I'll never forget 
but I thought was very telling was when I was in graduate school, one day I was in the hallway and I was wearing a black, a black t-shirt with gold embroidery. I remember this t-shirt so vividly because it said Barbados. And why I remember it was I, I remember picking this t-shirt out. This was in a time when most t-shirts from the Caribbean were like a white background or a pink background or some sort of a uh, a soft blue background with a palm tree and a, and a sun, you know, and a sunset or something. And I wanted something different. And so I remember buying this t-shirt because it was different. And a lady, uh, another graduate student that I did not know, I had seen her, but I didn't really know her, walked by as I was talking to my friends and said, you know, you really shouldn't wear a shirt from a place that you've never been to. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, why, why did she say that, Right. And I remember my friends were like, and they went to correct her. And I said, why did she say that? What made her say that? And I recognize, you know, it's an example of what I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain it in, in a very quick story. It was, she had had to make, have made so many assumptions mm. about me, not having known me. And, and it just kind of quickly came out. She probably has no idea why she said that herself. So I think the immigrant experience is often about the, the emphasis on the difference and that the difference couldn't possibly be a good difference. Another aspect of the immigrant experience is for sure that the education system that you come out of could be very, very different. And so wherever you go, the idea of what sort of are the standard ways of doing things could just be so very different that even as you're just doing whatever it is that you're doing, you find that the people around you do not recognize how much of, a, of an adjustment you're having to make uh, in order to do the thing that you're doing. But I would say that the immigrant experience for someone like me, was actually quite easy. When I think about the challenges of the immigrant experience in the workplace, I'm not often thinking about myself. Why do I say that? I say that because I came here, I studied for, I studied for a PhD. I Because I was born in England and I had this particular accent, people, my accent was not objectionable. People mm -hmm. didn't criticize this accent. In fact, people were fascinated by the way that I spoke. But I don't think that's the experience of a person who speaks a different language or the mm. person who comes from a certain part of the world where their perceptions are so strong about who those people are and, 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 and whether they're good or bad and all those kinds of things. And so when I think about the immigrant, immigrant experience, if I, if I advise leaders anything, it is that you should be aware that immigrants will likely have different experiences in mm -hmm. the workplace. And so you've got to sort of tune into that so that you can Ask about those experiences, acknowledge those experiences and support them just as you support any other kind of yeah. inclusion. Uh, there, there, oh, there's so much in this that I want to chat about. I've go down a massive rabbit hole here straight away. It actually just it, talking about those immigrant experiences. I mean, I'm in an incredibly lucky position to one, have a team that's across six countries. And I would say I mean, a couple of those women are immigrants in their countries. But just the variety of experience we've got, you mentioned different mm -hmm. education systems. To me, that is one of the most extraordinary things about my company is all those experiences mean that we never look at things the same way. Yeah. And we we answer questions in a myriad of different ways. And I'm I'm constantly challenged in the most positive way to think of thing, think about things differently. And I I love it. I'm also privileged to work with extraordinary women in my day job, like, you know, the coaching I do. And I would say about 25 percent a quarter to a third I, I you know varies of those women are immigrants and many of them 
I mean, well, we work globally, but most of my audience is North America. Uh-huh. And many of them are immigrants in the US. And these women, I tell you something, I mean, it's a self-selecting audience. I will tell you that because, of course, they're coming to work with a coach. They are so driven. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I mean, I've never been an immigrant. I, being born and brought up in the UK, I very nearly moved to the US uh, a few years ago. And then life happened. My husband and I now settled <laughs> in, in Scotland and we're not, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. But that's the closest I've ever come. But I think to actually take that step of living and, and working in a different country, especially when it's a foreign language, I mean, that, that is a level of something I, I don't think I've I've personally got in me. I might, <laughs> I, my audience might be like, oh, Tony Lenn is down here. <laughs> but I, you know, we backed out of that, my husband and I. There were lots and lots of reasons for doing so, sure, but we sure. didn't actually follow through in the end ever. And so I, I find it fascinating that you, you certainly say, and I do, Steve, there's this immediate kind of looking at people with a level of inferiority because they don't look and sound like us when actually some of them are the most driven people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. What would you say in response to all that? Well, first of all, I know that's a very human reaction. It's, it's a human reaction, a normal human reaction on both sides. It's normal to be like, to notice the differences and to, mm-hmm. and to find the d- differences challenging. You know, it's, it would be easier if we were all the same, perhaps. You know, we, that's how our brain seems to process that. I also think it's challenging on the side of the immigrant who is just trying to do the best that they can yeah. to be uh, successful in whatever particular situation they're in. So I think we have to just sort of be aware of the issue and give each other grace on the issue about the issue. You know... We talked a little early before about this idea of inclusion and inclusion. When I use the word inclusion, I'm just talking about the day to day experience of any person or any human in the workplace. I, it's not about a person of a certain race or a person with a certain kind of, of, of uh, characteristics. Mm. However, we know just the facts that there is great variability in the experiences that people have as a function of their race and, and ethnicity and different and those kinds of differences. But I, I believe <laughs> that the, the the issue that we often miss is that this is not something that requires a complicated solution. The solution to bridging all these gaps that we're talking about is for each of us to sort of hold in our hearts and in our minds the belief that, you know, well, all humans are equal. Let's just start there. All humans mm-hmm. are pretty much the same. We're very, very similar underneath the outer layer of skin, according to all the um, scientists who do this kind of work. However, what we really all want is to be seen, heard, and valued. Being seen, heard, and valued is actually the definition of respect. And respect is the thing that I think that if we focused on this, on that idea, an idea that is as old as time and one that we've been hearing from our parents forever. But if we focus on it and we focus on it in a specific way, I think we can bridge all of these kinds of divides and that will make a big difference. Yeah. I love that. And I know, you know, we were chatting before and, and you said the word respect and explained how, how you used it. And, you know, it's about that resonate with all employees and everyone benefits. And I was like, yes. <laughs> this is, I think, sometimes where the word inclusion doesn't quite serve us mm-hmm. in that it's not sufficient. Mm-hmm. It gets part way there. But that feeling of respect and being seen, heard and valued, as you said, is spot on. All right, let's, let's rewind a little bit and talk about why businesses, 
I, I feel like this is a conversation that maybe has been done to death, but and yet I'm still hearing businesses not working on this stuff. Or they they have a budget for DEIB, but it's not moving the needle. Obviously, this is at the heart of what you do. Yeah. Why why should businesses work on this stuff in 2023 when the world around us is shifting so quickly? Why now? Well, they should they should work on it at any time. But the main reason is not because of some ethical or moral obligation. I mean, you could have that, but I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason that businesses should work on this issue is that quite simply, they won't be competitive if they don't. I mean, they could be com- competitive in the short run and maybe, you know, you can't prove a negative. So someone might say, well, we don't have any diversity now. We don't, we, we're not all that inclusive and we still seem to be successful. And that may be true, but that is not going to be a, a sustainable pattern into the future for a variety of reasons. One of which is that that the next generation that's taken over the world is not going to tolerate that in the first mm-hmm. place. They won't come to work for you. They won't stay if they come. And they will have very loud voices in the public square where they demand something better uh, for everyone. Uh, another reason, of course, is that as the world is changing demographically, politically, socially, there's every reason to think that your particular product or service won't be able to satisfy the people who to whom you're trying to sell that product or service if you do not understand them and do not understand Mm -hmm. their concerns and their preferences. I'm fascinated with this with regard to the financial services industry. You know, an industry that, you know, gets a chunk of money and makes a chunk of money from that chunk of money. Mm -hmm. And forever, this is an industry that has really underserved people um, from, uh, you know, people of color, for example. And this is worldwide. People of color worldwide have been underserved with financial services. What that really means is not just that people of color couldn't get a mortgage or couldn't get a bank account or couldn't get basic services that other people could get. But what it also really meant is that financial services was missing a big opportunity to make money. I know, right? (laughs) And so, so... I did see how the conversation changed after 2020, Mm. where, oh, you mean there's this whole bunch of people who have money that we haven't scooped up into our coffers? And maybe we, so why why wouldn't we do that? Let's go get it. Let me just interrupt you for a second, if you don't mind. Uh, While we're having a great time with this discussion, I'm certainly having a blast. I just want to ask a favor of you. If you are finding this conversation inspiring, please do me one favor. Please share this with somebody that you think needs to hear this show. If you have the bandwidth for a second favor, please hit like and subscribe in your favorite platform, whether that's on YouTube or on your favorite podcast player. The more likes and subscribes we get, the easier it is for us to reach more people and hopefully to change the world. Thank you so much. And the reason that wasn't happening was because of the perception, an exclusionary perception, that that group of people wouldn't have assets that that would be worth attention, that they didn't need services, that you couldn't provide those services in certain locations. That is an example, I think, of the consequence to one segment of our of our economy when you don't really think about the fact that all of the humans in the place where you're doing business could be your potential client. And mm-hmm. then you design your products to satisfy that. So yeah. that's another reason. I, the irony of this, the very soul-destroying irony, I suppose, is how many times being through this is the human race. You know, mm-hmm. several hundred years ago, we didn't, you know, anybody who was working class, working in agriculture, anything like this, they didn't, they weren't served. Like the poor people, they didn't have a vote, they that's weren't right. served, right? That's right. 
suffragettes movement happened because women weren't allowed to spend money. We didn't have a vote. We weren't served. That's right. And, you know, the 60s and 70s, so important for women because suddenly companies started realizing women spend all the money. So actually we need to market to them. I remember a car when I was growing up and it was branded as the car for women because they put a mirror in the driver's side for us to do our makeup. (laughs) And I just found that that was their attempt at serving women. (laughs) You're like, what on earth? And then we're going through it again with ethnic minorities. And it just, it's like, really, we're still here? How many other things are we not seeing? And every time we resist, that's the other thing, this resistance that's happening politically in society of, oh, but we can't do this because, and it is just resistance. There's all these excuses. In my opinion, it's just resistance because they do not like what's coming because it's scary. Mm -hmm. And we've been through this so many times. It's like, how many more times do we have to go through this as a species? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fundamental thing is that we've got truly, I believe, if if we could just see every other person as our equal and say, that's just another human, they, I might have more money or I might have a bigger house mm-hmm. or whatever, a, be- a fancier title. But that person and I are are very much identical in the terms of what we really want. And so, yeah, we keep we keep noticing. It's mm. not that these are new behaviors because these patterns have just existed forever and we haven't noticed them. But we can't be, we're sort of uncovering layer upon layer where we see that there's just so much more opportunity for us to think this way, to have an ethos, uh, an ethos of equity, an ethos of mm. respect. That will benefit all of us. And I, and I think the thing that will really make the difference and, and the reason that I am, I'm so passionate about this issue is I don't think our children want this. I think our children want or need something different. That, that just speaks to my soul. That so speaks to my soul. Okay. We should change gear because I mean, I feel like I've, I've gone, I've gone somewhere with you that I am very appreciative of, but I know that my audience also loves to hear about all the things to do with leadership and and with you here I really want to let's let's take advantage of you (laughs) I would love for you to share what what is it that you do when you go into a workplace as an executive coach with that organizational psychology hat on and you are there to shift things and make Mm -hmm. it more respectful more inclusive what would you say that your top priorities for doing when you go into such a place yeah I mean (laughs) My top priority kind of depends on who I'm working with, but let's say I started to work in an organization with the, with the C-suite, which is the ideal scenario for me because I believe that the kinds of changes and, and experiences that we're talking about are ever only going to happen and can only be sustained when they're driven from the top of an organization. Mm-hmm. So when I get to work with the C-suite, that really delights me. And I'm not talking to them about esoteric ideas. I'm not talking to them, to them about their emotions. And I'm not talking about to them about ideas that you know, sort of, this is how you're going to make the world better. Although ultimately, those are outcomes I desire. I'm really talking to them about very specific actions that they can take. Because uh, executives in particular, that's the only language that they speak. And this is actually one of the ways that I, I think about what I'm trying to accomplish. My goal would be for every organization 
to have respect as one of its core values. And if you do some quick research, let's say even about the Fortune 500 or just a, a, some cross-section of large companies, you'll find that, that many companies do have respect as one of their corporate values, although maybe not as many, fewer than 40% consistently. So the idea of having respect as a corporate value isn't something that leaders find shocking, but what I try to encourage them is to do is to really think carefully about, well, how would you define respect? What, what does that really mean? And I, I share with them that from my perspective, from my work, respect has three components in terms of what it is that the recipient desires. And, and respect is a, always a two-way street. But employees and, and humans want to be seen. They want to believe that just being present in a space, having a certain humanity, just being human really in a space is something that another human would acknowledge and that they would feel like in this space, we are doing this dance together that humans do. We're just connecting to get the work done or whatever with no friction. We're just human. Mm. But people also want to be heard. They want to be able to have space for their ideas. They want their ideas to be used. They want to get credit for their ideas. They want to feel like their contribution to an organization through their ideas and their work are sort of acknowledged so that they can feel important in a way, right? That this, this is something that they're doing for, for this good. And they want to feel valued. And valued can come in the form, of course, of compensation and direct yeah, rewards and that sort of thing. But more importantly, people want to feel recognized. So being valued has two components, being rewarded and being recognized. And this is truly the piece about having the opportunity to have access to the goodies of a business. You know, mm -hmm. being it's not just getting a gold star, it's getting a promotion. It's getting a job that gives me the visibility where I'm close to the people who generate the revenue for the business, or I'm close to the clients because you don't hide me in the back room or in the basement. And so I try to let my clients think about respect in that way, consider having this as one of their corporate values, thinking about what it would feel like if they had an organization in which respect was at the core of everything that they did and at the experience and at the core of the experiences of their employees mm -hmm. and their clients and customers. When I'm dealing with, you know, I, I don't always get to work with the senior team. So if I, with any leader and any manager or any person actually in an organization, I'm really having a very similar conversation, except that what I'm saying is here are the things that you can do today to help make a more respectful environment. And why do I focus on respect? I don't think I told you why I focus so much on respect, uh, Tony, but let me tell you this. Um, I focus on respect as the key outcome. When I was doing some research for my book, and I discovered that in response to the question, what is it that you would want your leaders to know about your experience in their organizations regarding inclusion? When we content analyzed the responses to those questions, what I discovered was that the responses were very similar and that most employees, regardless of who they were, what they looked like, would say these were the things that they wanted. Oh, so when we when we put them into the buckets, the seen, heard, mm -hmm. and valued, and then we sort of stepped back from it, we could see that what employees were saying is we want a certain kind of feeling when we do this work. Um, if you look at data from Pew Research, for example, what you would see is that about, you know, 70 to 75% of employees feel respected at work every day, meaning about a quarter of employees do not feel respected at work. And yet this is such a fundamental need. 
And so I was seeing that in my data. And then I did some more research and I discovered that one of the distinguishing characteristics between majority group employees and underrepresented group employees is that majority group employees value being liked. And they think that that showing people or expressing something that shows you mm-hmm. that I like you would be accepted as a form of respect. But when you talk to people from underrepresented groups, that's not what they say. They say, no, I don't value, I don't care as much about being liked. What I really care about is being respected. And that respect is in these three buckets that I told you about, feeling heard, seen, and valued. So what I noticed is that these two groups were going in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, have you ever heard a situation where a manager would say, I did this thing and I don't know what I did, but for some reason, so-and-so thinks I disrespected them or told me that I, I'm disrespecting them and I'm trying so hard. Well, that, there's a reason for that. And that's the, it's related to what I just said. So I focus on respect and I say to managers, you have got to, you know, during the pandemic, when uh, WorkHuman did research to figure out what were the characteristics of the managers that employees said were the were the most engaging, the most likely to create an engaging work environment, as as they had made this transition from face to face work to to um, remote work, consistently what people said it was was that the manager checked in with them. So managers checking in with employees as an extremely powerful behavior that employees ascribe a lot of positive characteristics to. They feel very good about it. And so checking in has to do with this idea that I feel good in your environment if I feel like you know something about me. Not just am I doing the job or can I am I, you know, performing, but you know more about me as a whole person. So managers have to be curious in order to get connected with their employees so employees can feel comfortable. And so that model is what I I share. I say, don't make this complicated, just connect. It's so beautiful and so spot on with what I see coming at this just from a a great leadership lens. I mean, I do care deeply about inclusion, but I know I, I focus on elevating leadership in people first, perhaps naive of me. But it is when you create that human connection and you call out the, but they're not, you know, I did this and I don't understand why it didn't work. Well, you know, not everybody is like you. You've got a different experience to them. And just because it, it, you know, that's what you'd want doesn't mean that's what they need or want. And just to, you know, check in there on that research you did, I'd be very curious, you know, you, you said that in your research, you saw a different thing from the majority to the minority, is that just U.S. data or is it broader than that? I was wondering when you've got majority, is that is that based on majority versus minority or is it based on particular ethnicities? So the research that I did was done in the United States. So that's the first mm. thing. And I had done, I had first done interviews with, with uh, executives, conversations with executives, asking them what did they need? What is it that they wanted to learn or what support did they need in the inclusion arena? And what I had learned from those managers was that these executives felt underprepared to deal with the inclusion challenge. They also felt a little bit afraid of it. And they also mm. felt that they didn't really understand what it is that those employees from underrepresented groups really desired so that they could then provide it and could feel like they were being effective. So then I did this follow-on survey in the United States with working Americans. And it wasn't that that was that was a survey where I kind of where I understood that the issues that employees were talking about could be categorized as respect, as the key issue mm-hmm. that they desired. And that was true regardless of what group they were in. 
The difference I saw was that for the underrepresented respondents to the survey, they had a lot more to say. They had a lot greater volume of of, uh, responses and they had more specific comments uh, that they offered regarding this question. And so it was clear that this was something that was, you know, a a need of something they were craving, I'd like to say, um, even more so than than, you know, a majority Mm. group. Does this apply across the world? I do not know. But what does apply across the world uh, is this notion that. Uh, being liked and being respected are two completely different things. And that if you show, you know, if a leader focuses only on uh, sort of making somebody feels that they feel that they like them, there's no guarantee that that person is is going to feel respected, especially is, if they're from an underrepresented group. Yeah, that is really really fascinating. Um, I would, and I, I assume this is all in your book. Is that correct? Like all, everything you're describing here. Not everything I'm describing because I'm actually preparing for my second book. Thank you for oh, asking. Congratulations is, on that. <laughs> thank you. Which is all about respect. So I've been doing a deep dive into respect over the last, mm. well, year and a half since the book was, uh, the first book was done. Uh, and so these additional, some of this additional work is, um, is going to be in my second book because especially since my focus is on leadership, the path to, uh, trust, which is the essential thing for an organizational leader or, or any kind mm. of leader. Yes. To really have the impact they desire, the path to that comes through respect. Respect comes before trust, and that's documented in the psychological literature. So if you don't start with respect, you're never going to get to trust. And I want leaders to understand that. That's one of the things I'm working on in my second book. Wow. Congratulations on, on that coming. And we will definitely, for listeners, we will make sure a link to Gina's book is in the show notes. Um, and hopefully we'll get Gina back on when she launches her next book as well. Thank because- you. This this work is so incredibly important. And I, I I could talk about this all day. I I love this stuff. I think it is the backbone of what makes tech. I mean, it's the backbone of what make bus- makes business better. And and my mission to make the world of tech better for the human race. I believe that this is absolutely necessary, this work. So thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom. What I would like to do, which I do every episode, is Wrap up with some quick fire questions, kind of fun questions. Is that all right with you? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. First question. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> I would say the worst piece of advice is um, sort of something my grandparents used to say that seemed like good, a good advice back in the day, but doesn't seem that way anymore. And that is just sort of slow down and take your time and all of those kinds, that kind of advice. I don't give young people that advice anymore. I say to them, if there's something that you crave and you have this burning desire to do it, I don't care how young you are, get started, do it. Don't wait for anything because what exactly are you waiting for? Are you waiting for people to see that you have this thing or to tap you on the shoulder and say, go? no, you just have to go get it. That's such a coaching moment, isn't it? Just, <laughs> just go get it. I love that. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I'm a big Maya Angelou fan. And she said, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. And so I go through life and I just let people be who they are. But I make a judgment at some point about whether this is a relationship about which, you know, that I want as part of my life. And I do this with, you know, of course, loved ones or, you know, friends, I should say. And I do this with um, anybody that I meet. But I also do it with clients and I just make these choices that it's not worth it to spend your time around people who are sort of sapping your energy or who are putting negative vibes out into the world. 
I only want to be around the ones that are trying to do good. Uh, and I follow mm. that advice. Beautiful. What is the last book you read and would you recommend it? Oh my gosh. You know, I tend to read multiple books at the same time, but the very last book that I read is one that is right here on my counter and I would highly recommend it. It's called The Mirrored Door, The Mirrored Door by Ellen Tafe. This is a book that you would find very interesting because what Ellen says is that, yes, there is a glass ceiling and that's very real. We can't necessarily do anything about it on a minute by minute basis. But what each of us really also has to contend with is the mirrored door that holds us back. Mm. You know, when we when there are things that we desire as women in our careers, we have a tendency to get really introspective and to hold ourselves back. And yes. what she's saying is open the door and go for it. Similar idea. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that so much. At the end of the day, the thing we have complete control over is our own heads. Yes. And that is our most powerful tool for doing things like breaking through the glass ceiling. That's and right. And hopefully shattering it for those coming along behind us. Um, we just have to be tough cookies along the way. Okay, one more question for you. Um, what's your favorite mindset tip? Hmm. You know, I don't know if you know the answer to that question. I haven't really pondered that question in that way before. But I would say that my operating principle, you know, the way that I think about things is that I really say I want to change the world, but I can only change Gina. And so it goes back to this notion of having some idea about what you want and then doing a little step, step, step. You don't have to do dramatic things. And so I don't know if that answers your question or if that, you know, but that's my, that's the way I think about it. I, I, I love that because it kind of, I think sometimes when we have a lot of the women I work with, myself included, we're very ambitious. We're here to leave our mark. We're here to leave the world in a better place than we found it. And sometimes it can feel like, why do I bother when the world is this hot mess? Yes. Right. I have actually recently stopped watching the news because it is so painful I, so I'm just like, I'm doing all this stuff and then it's just getting worse. It's sometimes how I feel. But I love that centering of, well, I just, I can change me. Yeah. And if I, if I take a small step in the right direction, I might just make a difference. The baby steps every time, right? Absolutely. And, and, the, and also just giving other people grace about that because mm. other people are making their baby steps and you can't, you don't, you can't judge, you can't calibrate other people's experiences. You just focus on your own and, and then try to do that by putting the good vibes out into the world as you do what you do and staying away from the negative ones. I love that. That is so beautiful. Oh my goodness me. This is incredible. I, I feel like, honestly, we could have chatted for hours here. There's so many things. I think well, like we just touched the surface on like a hundred different things. Where can people find out more about you and what you do, connect with you, read your book, all those things? Yeah. If your listeners go to GinaCox.com, you can learn more about me, about my work, about the book. I've got a little freebie on the front page if you want to know more about respect in terms of the way that I talked about it on this show. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to interact with anyone who's listening to this show. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gina. This has been absolute blast. Listeners, I hope you have some real takeaways from this. I hope you're going to go out there and Think about conclusion as more about a conversation around respect, if nothing else. And as always, I'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn. And as you said, she would too. So let us know if you've got any questions from today's episode or if you'd like us to dive a little deeper into this topic. But listeners, until next time, as always, stay on your tech leadership game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. <laughs>